0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer,
1: and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is with with thee. Blessed art thou among women, women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this week's episode, Bishop talks about the annual Bishop's Appeal and why he chose the theme, Go and Make Disciples. Then it's on to the upcoming World Day of Migrants and Refugees, something that has been on the church calendar for more than a century and seems especially relevant today. The show wraps up with a reflection upon St. Matthew, co-patron of our diocese, since his feast day is approaching. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer on a future episode, submit it at redeemerradio.com slash askbishop.
0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. And this is uh, the season we're getting into here soon. The Bishop's Appeal. The video has been posted on the website and soon I don't know what, the, uh, the rollout process is for the video to be shown in parishes, but uh, why don't you talk about a little bit about the theme for this year's Bishop Appeal, and, and how do you come up with that?
1: Yeah, I'd be glad to. The appeal will take place in parishes as they schedule it, usually <laughs> the end of, towards the end of September, beginning of October, but yeah, the, the theme is Go and Make Disciples, and I chose that theme because it really gets to the very heart of the mission of our diocese, and that's the mission which the bishops appeal supports go and make disciples mm-hmm. uh it's the great missionary mandate that Jesus gave the whole church and today 2000 years later this mandate remains as urgent as ever sure and really it's a mandate that resounds powerfully in my heart as as bishop and that's why i chose it um as the theme for this year's appeal. Someone recently asked me, uh, Bishop Rhodes, what's your vision for the diocese? And I replied, I want us to be a factory, mm-hmm. a disciple-making factory. Yeah. In fact, I want all our parishes, schools, and institutions to be disciple-making factories. And I refuse to let the present-day challenges to faith deter us in our mission, In fact, when you look at the present problems in our culture and even within the church, I like to see them as challenges to be met and to be overcome. So I think it's important to refuse to despair or to become discouraged. And that's why I wanted this positive message, go and make disciples. Now, why shouldn't we get discouraged? Um, I can only say personally, I won't despair or become discouraged because I believe in God's love. It's as simple as that. I believe in the truth and the beauty of our Catholic faith. And I'm inspired by so many of the faithful of our diocese who are living the faith with love and commitment and perseverance. And nothing can take away the joy that comes from our faith, the joy that comes from meeting Christ and finding in him the rock on which we build our lives. So, when I ask people to support the Bishop's Appeal, I'm asking them to support the evangelizing work of our diocese, which is basically bringing the good news of salvation to others, Mm -hmm. and to let them know that the good news is a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus. Our mission of evangelization invites people to enter into his mystical body, the church, in an active way. So, we need to be a disciple-making factory. I think it's helpful for people because I kind of take it for granted, but in speaking to people, a lot of people aren't clear on what the Bishop's Appeal supports. And I invite people to think about all the offices, programs, and activities that the Bishop's Appeal supports, like my office. I mean, just, you know, I, I don't think I ever shared in any of the videos through the years, what my office does. Well, it basically leads this mission of making disciples in our diocese. You know, personally, as a successor of the apostles, one of my principal responsibilities is the proclamation of the gospel, calling people to faith and strengthening them in living faith. You know, there's a quote from St. Paul that I often think about, and I repeat it to myself. This is what St. Paul wrote. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So that really touches my conscience. That's why I travel all over the diocese, because it's a necessity. It's my my vocation to preach the gospel, to celebrate the sacraments. Now, I can't do that without the support of the people of our diocese, you know? I was joking with uh, a crowd about this uh, recently, and I said, we should put in the... Bishop's Appeal video me putting gas in my car. (laughs) Because when people you know, the people are, you know, where do I get the money for the gas? It comes from the people. You know, I don't have much of a salary. It's pretty it's my salary is the same as the salary of a pastor, Uh which is I think something like sixteen hundred dollars a month. So so people have, you know, and I think we should be, you know, very transparent about finances, which we are. And all the ways that the bishop's appeal supports my ministry. I mean, I'm Able to have a dedicated staff that works so hard for the church and helps me in my ministry as a bishop because we're able to hire them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and you look at every office, every secretariat of the diocese, and they're all part of a disciple making factory, they're all supported, their salaries, by the bishop's appeal. I think some of the people wonder, well, what, what are the offices? What are the secretariats? You know, we have these, the, you know, let me just give an example. Sure. The Secretariat for Evangelization and Discipleship. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very directly dedicated to the evangelizing mission. And they have so many programs and activities that are designed to attract people to Christ and the church. And that secretariat is led by by Deacon Fred Everett. Mm-hmm. And they have come and see events, alpha retreats, intentional discipleship groups, campus ministries, young adult ministry, marriage and family right. programs, respect life activities, Hispanic and black Catholic ministries. I mean, there's a lot. And it's a, you know, a relatively small staff. Mm-hmm. And I can go through some of the other secretariats because I know people have been... When I share this, they're like, wow, I didn't know the diocese did all that, you know? Like, we have a Secretariat for Catholic Education. And really, they're about making disciples mm-hmm. of our children and young people mm-hmm. in our Catholic schools and our religious education programs. And when you look at the Secretariat of Catholic Education, it has an Office of Catholics, for Catholic Schools, Catechesis, Youth Ministry, and Disabilities Ministry. And you know what? When you look at all those ministries, the staff, you know how many we have? Nine people. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about it, that's nine employees who oversee, support, and serve 43 Catholic schools, over 50 parish catechetical programs, and over 30 youth ministry programs throughout our diocese. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you just look at the office of Catholic schools, I think has four or five maybe employees. Well... It's a school system of 43 schools. I mean, talk about getting value for our investment. We have an excellent Catholic school system, but that's very little bureaucracy. Tell me what school system has 43 schools (laughs) with over 10,000 students and you have just five people overseeing the whole thing. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And everyone works so hard because they're committed to our mission. It's the love of Christ that Mm -hmm. motivates them to work for the church. I can really say that about all our employees, the diocesan secretariat for communications, and all its efforts to spread the good news, including our diocesan newspaper, Today's Catholic, the many social media sites where we're present Mm -hmm. And, you know, the church and the diocese really needs to be present in the digital world, mm-hmm. you know, in the culture of this new environment of communications and information technology so that the gospel is proclaimed through today's means of communication. I also think in this theme of going and making making disciples, how the appeal supports the education and formation of disciple makers. What do I mean by that? The formation of future priests mm-hmm. and the formation of future permanent deacons you know we presently have 24 men in formation for the permanent diaconate, and we have 27 young men in formation for the priesthood well the annual budget for our vocations office and seminary education is over a million dollars it's supported by both the appeal and by the pentecost collection i mean parents out there who are paying for their kids to go to college they know how expensive it is Some people didn't realize that it's the appeal that supports our retired priests who spent their lives making disciples and serving the church. And when you look at our priest's pension fund, it's really underfunded. So, I try to put more in that every year, depending on how well we do in the appeal. People in the diocese have been very generous to the annual bishop's appeal for um, the past, I think it's like 30 years. So, In advance, I want to thank all the listeners who are generous, who will be generous to this year's Bishop's Appeal, and for being part of the beautiful mosaic of evangelization Mm. that is the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend. So, thanks, Kyle, for giving me an opportunity to talk about that. I know you just asked me one question, what the particular theme (laughs) is, and I talked for what fifteen minutes. Yeah, but um, but I really feel this is important, and uh, again. thanks to all our benefactors.
0: And I think it's good for people to get a a glimpse kind of with some of the behind the scenes things that you don't realize how much the diocese does do. And when we talk about go and make disciples and having a disciple making factory, if if I can kind of run with that analogy for a little bit, there's some factories that would take in the raw materials and produce a product that's available for the consumer. And there's other factories that make things for the other factories, right? Just parts that are going to go into a car. Right. So do you see the diocese, I'm, I'm guessing it's a both and, but do you see the diocese more as in the role of supporting the parishes so that they can make disciples or offering programs as a diocese that are, are going to make disciples directly?
1: I would say both. Yeah. Uh, because when you think about it, um, most of the ministry takes place on a parish level. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things that can only happen on the diocesan level. Right. Um, you know, like it's the diocese that send and the bishop who sends men to the seminary. Mm -hmm. So that aspect of it, which is essential to our mission or the permanent diaconate program or certain things are really disciple making on the diocesan level. But I would say the majority is at the level of the parishes. Mm So what the diocese provides often is services to the parishes so that they are able to fulfill their mission. I mean, you take example, the secretary for Catholic education, where does youth ministry, where, do the, where does Catholic education, schools, parishes, that takes care, place on the parish level mm-hmm. or our diocese and high school level. But they need help. They need oversight. They need support and that's a really important thing and part of it is all of this is under the oversight of the bishop the bishop is the one who's the successor of the apostles mm-hmm. so the hierarchical structure of the church is essential to the way christ set it up yeah <laughs> and and therefore we don't have parishes who are in anyway. any way separate or on their own they have to be linked to the one who is in the line of apostolic succession right right
0: and so for people that uh, they're going to go to the parishes and there'll be cards and you can fill it out and send it in, uh, other ways to support
1: online? Oh, yeah, there's use. online. Um, as a matter of fact, that's probably a very, uh, that's a growing, it's growing in popularity. It's easy for a lot of people who are used to paying bills online so they can make their pledge and payment online. You, they have to just go to the uh, diocese's bishop's appeal website yep. i can't give you the address sorry i don't know it but i'm sure it's easy to find probably they can go on the dawson website and there's a link i would guess um, i just went to diocese
0: org and there's a an icon for annual bishop's appeal oh okay and when you click on that it takes you to information as well as a place to donate
1: well, you can watch the videos there. Yeah. Well, I and, made my donation last week early and I'd still do the old system because I don't I don't know how to do the online, but that's uh, funny because I haven't
0: I've been ever since
1: the diocese switched
0: to online and my parish switched online, we we haven't bothered with envelopes and anything, just really? things online. It's automatic withdrawal. Yeah, easy. Well, Kyle, would you mind like showing me <laughs> oh, how to do sessions, it? I'm yeah, do a sure. training session with me.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh mm-hmm.
1: do you like recording the video? Do I like it? Yeah. Um I you know what? I um <laughs> when I first started I didn't like it because they kept making me do all kinds of take takes uh-huh. like take 1, take 2, take 3 and I yeah. was just so I just said I don't care, let's just do one take if I unless I really mess up yeah. uh, we'll just go with it. <laughs> all right. Well, again, you can find that all at
0: diocesefwsb.org and click on the Bishop's Appeal there for more information. And coming up we'll talk about the Feast of St. Matthew co-patron of our diocese the Saturday's Gospel and World Day of Migrants and Refugees right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop. We're talking about the the theme of go and make disciples for the Bishop's Appeal. And speaking of good discipleship, something that has been in the news a lot lately, but has been a focus of the church for quite a while. Sunday, the 29th of September is the 105th World Day of Migrants and Refugees. So this has been something we've been doing for a long time since 1914. Especially I think in today's climate, what kind of thoughts or advice do you have on on this issue of of
1: refugees? Well, you know, just the idea of as disciples of Jesus, we can't ignore the plight of our suffering brothers and mm-hmm. sisters. I mean, if we are truly disciples, I mean, and and really when you think about this this issue of refugees and migrants and the hardships they endure goes back i mean it recurs through history but and and this uh this day that you mentioned the world day of migrants and refugees you know 105 years ago so this is not a new problem however mm-hmm. i'd say it's grown you know um if you look at u.n statistics just on refugees there's over 70 million in the world Now, you might want to say, okay, well, how do you define a refugee? A refugee is someone who has been displaced from their home. And the reasons would be persecution, Mm -hmm. war, conflict, violence, violations of human rights. You know, so they're in danger, basically. So we have the highest levels of displaced people in history. Hmm. And, I mean, even this past year... um, you know, we're at a record high. And now a lot of those people, more than half, are displaced in their own country. So they're, they're what we call internally displaced persons. Mm-hmm. So they're refugees in their own nation. But there's a good 26 million who are displaced and they're not in their own countries. Um, and then we have those who are seeking asylum which is about three and a half million people seeking asylum. So it really is a global problem. It's yeah. um, it's something that we really can't ignore. I mean, if we're Christian, I mean, you know, let me give you some examples. I, I kind of have learned more about this because I'm on the board of Catholic Relief Services. So, sure. you know, two years ago, I guess it was a year or two ago, I was in, in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think of Ethiopia And you wonder about okay you all might already think that that's a country that has its its own challenges which it it certainly does i mean you know at times there are droughts and it's a poor country but it also is a country that has refugees that have come there from other places (laughs) you know so you can imagine someone fleeing let's say violence in a country and and um you know, going to another country that's poor, like Ethiopia, and I'm going to be going to El Salvador with Catholic Relief Services in February. Okay, and we're probably most familiar here in the United States with the with the refugees who are trying to get into the United States from across this, our southern border, mm-hmm. especially from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Mm-hmm. And basically, the reason they're displaced or the reason they're fleeing is because of organized crime, the gangs and everything in their own countries. And, and really, the region has such a high level of murders, homicides. And those that I have met fleeing for their lives, really, you know, some of them are and bring children and, and young people, teenagers, because they receive threats that if their teenage son or daughter doesn't join a gang, they'll be hurt or killed Mm. well what parent wants their child in that situation right so a lot of those asylum seekers um are from those those three countries when i was over in in gaza and visiting the crs projects on the west bank and gaza i learned a lot about the refugees nearby in lebanon and in jordan And a lot of those were people escaping the violence and the conflict in Syria and in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Um, Large-scale displacement. You know, in just the last five years, about three million Iraqis have been displaced from their homes. And and about a quarter of a million of them have gone to other countries like Lebanon and Jordan. I mean, Turkey and Germany as Mm -hmm. well. And then we have... The Syrians, that's the largest group of displaced persons in the world, about 13 million people. That's more than half of the population of the country that are displaced from their homes. And where have they gone? They've gone to Lebanon Mm -hmm. and and, uh, Jordan and Turkey. In Lebanon, I was talking to a bishop, uh, a Lebanese, well, it's a Maronite bishop in the United States. He's Bishop Mansour, who's the... Uh, the chair of the board of Catholic Relief Services. And okay. he's Maronite, which is, a, you know, from Lebanon. And I was talking to him about the situation there. Um, they have over a million Syrian refugees in Lebanon. Hmm. And Lebanon's a small country. Jordan is a small country. They have over 600,000 Syrian refugees. We could go on. I mean, there are other countries too, but I mean, those are the ones. Oh, South Sudan, I think is, that's a country that, you know, has been through so much, thousands of people who've, who've died in conflicts there. There they've had over 3 million people driven from their homes. There's probably about 1.9 million still um, but uh, there, but over 2 million have fled to other countries, and a lot have fled to Uganda, you know, which has more than a, uh, a million South Sudanese refugees. So when people say, well, why are the bishops supportive of wanting to be able to grant asylum and help to these refugees in our country? I mean, that's something, you know, we have a long history of welcoming refugees and giving asylum status. Unfortunately, the numbers allowed into our country have, have really gone down. Mm-hmm. In our own diocese, we have resettled a number of refugees. Mm-hmm. I think those in Fort Wayne are very aware of how many Burmese refugees we have resettled, and some of them are Catholic. And uh, I'm really proud of our Catholic charities. And this happens, I think a lot of people don't don't realize how, how this takes place. Well, first of all, it begins with the U.S. government. The U.S. government allows a certain number of refugees, but then they turn to various organizations to, to do the resettlement, and they look to the Catholic Church. And on the national level, the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, we have Office of Migration and Refugee Services. And we serve and advocate for refugees and migrants, those seeking asylum, Sometimes they're unaccompanied children, victims of human trafficking, whatever. So, we have a bishop's committee on migration that kind of oversees and provides guidance to our migration and refugee services. And it's that office that then turns to dioceses to actually be where the people are are going to be resettled, and that's you know where our Catholic charities comes in. Mm-hmm. So we get a number of refugees each year. That number has gone down, unfortunately, because there's such a need. Because now I think our country maybe accepts between fifty and seventy-five thousand refugees a year. I forget oh, wow. the exact number, but when you think of the number of Compared refugees, the, yeah, it's you're comparatively, talking about millions, right? Right. In it's it's now thousands. Yeah, and, um, but I'd say probably here at this point, our Catholic Charities, you'd have to ask Gloria Whitcraft, who's the director, but I would guess we're resettling now, maybe about 150 refugees in our diocese every year, but not too long ago, we were settling like 300 Hmm. a year. So so I've really been focusing here on on refugees because they're the ones who are coming because they've been displaced. Um,
0: if we could just maybe take a break and we'd come back to talk about migration and then also what we can do about it. Okay. And, and maybe... If I, there's so much to talk about here, but maybe we could also talk about some of the common objections that people have and, and give you a chance to respond to some of those as sure, well. we be glad to. So we'll talk about that coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And I'm not sure if we're going to get to questions today because there's so much to talk about. Uh, But if people do have questions, feel free to submit them. You can do that by calling or texting the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And we've been talking about the upcoming, uh, it's Sunday, September 29th, is the 105th World Day of Migrants and Refugees. And you talked a lot about the issue of refugees and how there are so many refugees that are in need of a, of a place to go and so few refugees that were accepting into the United States in contrast. But also you were talking about the issue of migration and, yeah. and how, how do you distinguish between a refugee and a migrant?
1: Yeah, no, that's a very good question. A refugee is someone who's uh, been displaced because of violence or war or persecution. Uh, Often their lives are in danger, um, so they have to leave um, just for their own safety, for their own life or that Mm -hmm. of their family. So oftentimes it's, it's some kind of political, it could be political persecution, it could be social group. I mean, we have that if you look, for example, in uh, Myanmar or Burma, where some of our Mm -hmm. refugees are from, you know, you have that whole group of Rohingya Muslims that are being persecuted and many of them have fled to Bangladesh. So, sometimes it's religious persecution. So, they're seeking asylum. Right. Uh, A migrant, on the other hand, it doesn't qualify for asylum. They are... Uh, moving because of economic hardship. Okay. Um, If you look at today's unauthorized immigrants in our country, the undocumented, the great majority of them wouldn't have qualified for asylum, Mm -hmm. but they were in such desperate straits, many of them in such poverty that they took the risk and came to our country. And that's where you get into where we have a lot of the political disagreement. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I know a lot of, of undocumented immigrants, and un, unauthorized immigrants. And it's really interesting. You know, they want to be here lawfully. They mm-hmm. just weren't able to enter legally. And, you know, I often hear people say, well, they should go through legal channels. They right. should get in line like uh-huh. everybody else. But there's no line for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say. You know, OK, I'm not, you know, we don't condone illegal immigration. We don't, uh, we believe that immigrants should come to the United States lawfully, that Mm -hmm. they should follow our rules. The problem is we don't have a path Mm -hmm. for someone in this situation because let's say you have someone who's, uh, who, who wants to migrate to the United States and they don't qualify for any kind of political asylum. But it's because They want a better life for their family. They're not able to find work. They're very, very poor or whatever. If you look at the criteria that we have for accepting immigrants and the quotas that we have, there's just a few narrow categories of people who are eligible Mm -hmm. to migrate. You know, if I look at my own grandfather who migrated from Greece, and he did so lawfully, Uh but that was in the early 1900s, he could never... Qualify to come into the United States today Hmm. because there would be no path for him. One way for lawful entry would be you have a family relationship. You know, you have another family member who's here. A lot of people who could qualify for that, but again, it's limited numbers. Let's say they have a family member in the United States, they can petition to have a foreign-born family member come here and be here lawfully and have permanent residency. Like a, a parent or a child or a brother or a sister or a spouse, they become lawful permanent residents. Another way would be For workers to be sponsored by a U.S. employer uh, where they would come here. But those categories are really limited Mm -hmm. to people with advanced degrees, you know, Mm. people who are executives, professors, whatever, whereas most (laughs) of those people aren't trying to flee for economic reasons you know Mm -hmm. they can get a good job oftentimes in their own country so what we have is people who want to come who are largely low skilled you know people who don't have necessarily a college education you Mm -hmm. know they would be people who want to work in the agriculture or you know a lot of these kinds of people work in in uh, like factories meat packing plants uh, landscaping you know Domestic services, construction, those kinds of things. Um, And we have a high demand for those kind of workers. I mean, we really do in the United States. But now we're only giving out 5,000 green cards a year in the United States for these kinds of workers, low-skilled workers. 5,000. 5,000. So that's why we have like 300,000 entering unlawfully. Mm -hmm. They're looking for work. Uh, Now, we do have a temporary worker visa that people can get, and temporary status usually for a year, but even those, uh, it's really woefully insufficient uh, numbers to even satisfy the demand that we have here for those kinds of workers. That's why the Catholic Church is so much in favor of the reform of our current immigration laws. Well, first of all, for so that there could be easier reunification of families, number one. But other thing is so that we can have satisfied the need we have in our own country for low-skilled labor. And then, of course, fundamentally, trying to help these people who are living in abject poverty. As I said, it, it is very, uh, our country is very polarized on this. There are a lot of myths out there, unfortunately. A lot of different kinds of propaganda. You know, obviously there's some concern about our nation's security and how terrorists could enter uh, easily. I mean, that is something that, uh, but then when you look at what we do, it's quite difficult to come in as a refugee, for example. I mean, there's such a rigorous screening process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen it with so many, you know, the ones that we've resettled here. It typically takes 18 to 24 months to go through all the screening so there's numerous federal intelligence and security agencies, you know, Department of Homeland Security, Department of State, Department of Defense, the National Counterterrorism Center, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. I mean, when you think about it, they go through so much, um, fingerprints, security checks, um, extensive interviews by, by trained officers from the US citizen, Citizenship and Immigration Services. We want to make sure that any incoming refugee isn't a, a terrorist or a risk to national security or to public safety. So there's a lot of security screening that goes on. When I mention cor- countries like Lebanon or Jordan or some of these other countries that have accepted, you know, a lot. I mean, how is it that a country that has as much wealth and has much as much space and as large as we are, that we can't do more? Right. You know, some people get the idea, well, the other nations aren't doing their fair share. What? You know, I mean, even, you know, Germany and Canada and Australia, I mean, there are other countries that mm-hmm. are doing a lot. Uh, as I mentioned, there's over a million in Lebanon. How are they helping all those Syrians? I mean, I can't even imagine. There's one refugee for every five Lebanese in that country. So, I think it's a global crisis, and I'd like to see more, I would hope to see more U.S., Leadership in this. And really, it's a humanitarian issue. And I, I do believe God will judge us on this. I mean, mm. these are our brothers and sisters in the human family. And when the refugees get here, and even here in our own diocese, I mean, I think we've done a really good job through Catholic charities to help them to become self sufficient. You know, you have that myth out there that refugees are a burden on the community that receives them that's not true okay. they actually when they get the help getting jobs job training uh, they quickly become productive members of our society and and uh, most of them get a stable job you know and they pay taxes, um, they compete in the labor market just like other Amer- any other American, and so there are economic benefits. Uh, and I think there's also a cultural enrichment sure. of our own community. But even if it was a
0: burden, isn't that our responsibility? They're people, right. they're human beings that right. are made in the image of God. Uh, what is our responsibility as Christians, even if if it does mean
1: that we have to make sacrifices right so yeah but that's not politically popular All you right. know that yeah right. it's but i agree with you and um and of course pope francis is very strong on this as you probably know he's yeah and uh, he has you know it's he has a message every year for world day of migrants and refugees i'd encourage people to uh To read his 2019 message, it's entitled, It is Not Just About Migrants. And I was fascinated by that. I was thinking, what's he talking about? And what the Pope is talking about is when he says it's not just about migrants, it's about us, Mm -hmm. you know, our own living of our faith and to overcome our fears and not be dominated by fear. You know, this is about charity. It's about our humanity. I mean, compassion. You know, you think of the Good Samaritan, that whole parable of the Good Samaritan. When we had that, it was what a month ago or two months ago at Sunday Mass, I, you know, I was really touched because I thought to myself, of of uh, refugees, we really are by our faith called to welcome, to protect, and promote and integrate migrants and and refugees. So thanks Kyle for bringing that up Yeah
0: well I have a bunch of questions But we
1: don't have time for them
0: But for people that do have questions You can go to askbishop, Call or text the Holy Cross College text line At 260-436-9598 And coming up we'll talk Just briefly about St. Matthew Our co-patron for the diocese Whose feast is going to be on Saturday It's coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And coming up this Saturday is the feast of our co-patron for the diocese, St. Matthew. I don't know if people know that
1: we have a co-patron. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you look at our principal patron, of course, is Mary under Uh the title of Immaculate Conception. But we have the secondary patron, co-patron, St. Matthew, who was an apostle and, you know, an evangelist. He wrote the first gospel and, and, um, so it's good that we honor him and we remember him. Does that go hand in hand? If, if a
0: diocese or archdiocese has a co cathedral, they also have a co patron. Is that, I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, Matthew was kind of unique. I love having him as a as our uh, co patron. Uh-huh. You know, he was a tax collector, right. which I think gives us all hope because that Jesus welcomed into his close circle of friends his this man who was really regarded as a public sinner mm-hmm. because he handled money which they considered impure because it came from the Romans. These were the people occupying their country, and he was cooperating with them, working for them. He was collaborating with them. The taxes that were imposed by the Romans were arbitrary and oppressive to the Jewish people. So so he was participating in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, tax collectors also had a reputation for being greedy mm-hmm. and miserly, also dishonest and even pocketing some of the money for themselves. And that's why often in the Gospels you hear them. Paired with sinners, like it will say in the gospels, tax collectors and sinners, right. or tax collectors and prostitutes. Right. So, these weren't good people, mm-hmm. and Jesus called one of them, yeah. and it shows that our Lord doesn't exclude anyone from his friendship. And I think that's very beautiful to think about, and that we have a patron like this it always gives us hope. Yeah. And um, so, people were shocked that he, he chose him, and yet Jesus said, when he was in the house of, of Matthew, he said, those who are well do not need a physician but the sick do. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners." Well, that's the good news of the gospel. Yeah, And Jesus calling Matthew, this tax collector who changed, converted, became a disciple. Someone who was very hard, far from what would be considered holy, really now is a model for us. He's a saint because he accepted God's mercy and became an apostle he got up from the table where he was collecting the taxes and followed Jesus. Um, He left everything and that changed his life. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, He didn't continue doing that in that line of work because his friendship with Jesus didn't permit him to pursue an activity which was disapproved by god really Mm -hmm. so he became an apostle Um, and i think it's a great thing that yeah if we're attached to things that are incompatible with our faith or incompatible with our discipleship we need to leave it behind yeah just like matthew did get detached from that sinful situation become attached to the lord who loves us I also think, you know, it's great to have as our co patron of the diocese, the human author of one of the four gospels. Mm. Uh, So, he not only became an apostle, he was an evangelist. And he has this this great gospel that gives us accounts of the life of Jesus. And I think that's another great thing about having Matthew as our our patron. And one last thing, um, I don't know if we ever talked about it on the show before, but the Episcopal motto of Pope Francis refers to St. Matthew. And, I, you know, it's miserando atque eligendo. Did we talk about that? I don't think we have. Okay. It's kind of difficult to translate um, that Latin, but basically I think it, 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 miserando atque eligendo. He had mercy on him and called him. When he became a bishop, Jorge Bergoglio chose that as his episcopal motto and it's his motto as pope Uh he had mercy on him and called him that's from a homily of saint Bede commenting on the gospel passage of the call of saint matthew Hmm. that jesus had mercy on matthew and called him isn't it interesting that that Cardinal Bergoglio kept that as his motto when he was a elected Pope, you know, and Pope Francis has talked about that because there must've been a moment in his life where he experienced that Mm -hmm. in a very deep way that he talks about. And that's why he, he chose that, um, that, that motto. I think it's good um, to think that all of us have been looked upon with mercy and been chosen for our own respective vocations mm-hmm. bishop priest uh, married person whatever our vocation that the lord has looked upon us with mercy and has chosen us has looked upon us with love and called us to follow him in a sense we could say that's that should be a motto for all of us miserando atque eligendo mm-hmm. he looked upon me with mercy and chose me
0: mm-hmm. I like that yeah it is kind of an odd phrase but so powerful yeah yeah all right well thank you so much again bishop for another great episode of truth and charity could we get your episcopal blessing before we
1: the lord be with you and with your spirit blessed be the name of the lord now and forever our help is in the name of the lord who made heaven and earth may almighty god bless you the father and the son and the holy spirit amen thank you bishop you're welcome kyle
2: Listen next week for a special live episode of Truth and Charity. It'll be Charathon Week here at Redeemer Radio, and Bishop will be joining host Kyle Hyman at our Fort Wayne studio. Hear how God has been working in our radio apostolate and our exciting plans for the future. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.